0: Hello, America, and welcome to the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to spend the whole show listening to a special panel discussion I was blessed to be part of this week uh, with Senator Ted Cruz, Jessica Anderson from Heritage Action, a very special event called Holding the Line. What does it mean? We're going to take you in as journalists inside one conservative group's actions to try to reverse Um, or to come back from, I think is the right word, to come back from uh, the devastating 2020 election losses that Republicans suffered. Remember, Democrats have control of all of Washington. They have the White House with Joe Biden. They have the House with Nancy Pelosi. They have the Senate with Kamala Harris and Chuck Schumer. And often when such a sweep occurs, the losing party goes through a period of mourning and then they go into action. And what we're trying to do is bring you inside the an inside look at one of those actions, Heritage Action, a very popular uh, conservative grassroots group, has already begun the counteroffensive, and they're trying to hold the line on Joe Biden's nominations, on some of his policies, getting candidates recruited, building the infrastructure, the dialogue, the messaging to uh, try to compete effectively in the 2022 and 2024 elections. And uh, we're going to bring you inside that with this incredible panel discussion we had earlier this week. It's called Holding the Line. It's been brought to you by our friends at Heritage Action, and it includes many great guests, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, and jessica from uh, heritage action are joining us you're going to enjoy their time jessica anderson was on the show last week but uh, this panel discussion is very robust so we're going to go to that and then we'll wrap things up for the weekend please enjoy holding the line a just the news special Thanks to our good friends at BrickHouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and welcome to a Just the News special event, Hold the Line. I'm John Solomon, editor-in-chief of Just the News, and I'll be your host this evening. Now, every time a new political party takes back power in Washington, the opposing party has three missions, renew, rebuild, and resurge. But most Americans never get to see how that happens. Tonight though, we're gonna have a special part, through a uh, special partnership with our grassroots group, Heritage Action for America. We are going to give you an inside look at how the conservative movement is recalibrating after the November 2020 election. We've got an all-star lineup for you, but before we get started, I'd like you to learn a little bit about our partner and our sponsor tonight. Take a look at this.
1: We're in a cultural battle. Have you That's why Heritage Action created the Sentinel Program. To empower conservatives to speak up, take action, and to hold your lawmakers accountable. And when Sentinels speak, Congress listens. Together, we're going to hold the line. And advance conservatism for generations to come.
0: Now, one of the battlegrounds in Washington right now is the U.S. Senate, where a 50-50 split between the parties has left Vice President Kamala Harris in the position to break a lot of tie votes. And with the razor-thin margin, there's been a lot of recent speculation that Democrats may attempt to remove the filibuster, essentially expanding the power of majority Democrats by eliminating a key procedural step. Now that step has been designed for decades to ensure the chamber only votes on policies supported by a large portion of the members, usually 60 or more. Now, tonight we are lucky to have two guests at ground zero in this battle. Joining us from Washington is Senator Ted Cruz from the great state of Texas, as well as Jessica Anderson, Executive Director of Heritage Action for America. Senator Jessica, welcome to the show. John Griffin. It's an honor to have you. Senator, let me start with you. Uh, We've been hearing a lot about getting rid of the filibuster, but to do that, all Democrats would have to support such a move. We heard this week that Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, two Democrats uh, from swing states, won't support that. What do you think happens with the filibuster and how important will it be to Republican efforts to fight Joe Biden's policies?
2: Well, I hope that they both manage to to hold the line. Uh, in order to end the filibuster, it takes all 50 Democrats acting together. Um, right now, Manchin and Senator are both saying they're not willing to go along with ending the filibuster. Uh, you know, I have to say Chuck Schumer uh, has demonstrated an ability to put enormous pressure on Democratic members of his conference. and And frankly, in the time I've been in the Senate, it's been exceptionally rare to find even a single Democrat with the courage to stand up to Schumer. If uses screws, I don't know what he uses, but <laughs> at least if, if passed as prologue, uh, they have managed to have strict uniformity over and over again. Uh, it's a world of difference uh, whether they're able to end the filibuster or not. If, if Manchin and Sinema give in, if they do what Schumer wants and end the filibuster, we will see the most radical legislative agenda ever move through the United States Congress. If they don't, if they don't give in, if they hold the line and say, no, we're not going to radically break the rules and end the filibuster, then many of the most extreme steps that the Democrats want to take won't happen. So, for example, Democrats want to make the District of Columbia a new state. They want to do that because it would elect two Democratic senators, and they want to permanently shift the balance of power. If we keep the filibuster, D.C. will not become a state. If they get rid of the filibuster, D.C. will become a state. Likewise, there are a lot of Democrats that want to pack the U.S. Supreme Court. Want to add Four new left-wing judicial activists to the court, take it from nine justices to 13 justices. If we keep the filibuster, they will not pack the U.S. Supreme Court. No chance of that happening. If they get rid of it, uh, I think there's a very real chance that the Supreme Court does get packed, which would mean that our fundamental rights, our free speech, our religious liberty, our Second Amendment, all of those rights will be profoundly in jeopardy.
0: Those are pretty high stakes. And I know in addition, Senator, you've talked very strongly for many years about the regulatory agenda of uh, Democrats, particularly those that kill jobs or have an impact. You come from an energy state. Can you talk about some of the regulatory policies that you're also trying to hold the line on as a Republican?
2: Well, sure. And, And unfortunately, even if the Democrats don't have the votes to end the filibuster. A lot of bad policies are going to be enacted the next two years and the next four years. On the regulatory side, we are already seeing a massive push on executive orders. We're seeing a massive push. The Biden administration is going to lean in hard on on the executive and regulatory side. The filibuster won't prevent them from doing that. On the national security and foreign policy side, they're going to lean in vigorously to what they can do unilaterally within the executive. Uh, they also will be able to use what's called budget reconciliation, which is a special procedural vehicle uh, that gets around the filibuster. So even if they end the filibuster, we are going to see a massive tax increase in the next couple of months. The Democrats are all committed to an enormous tax increase. I think it will be much, much worse than just repealing the 2017 tax cuts. They're not looking to go back to the status quo ante. They're looking to raise taxes dramatically. I think we will see that push through and we'll see a big fight of them trying to attach all sorts of other policies to budget reconciliation. On the regulatory side, John, what you just asked, you know, last week I, w- I was at the Capitol when, when Joe Biden gave his inaugural speech. I just thought it was a pretty good speech. I was very. Unity asked Americans to come together. We need to come together. We are bitterly divided. It's not healthy for this country. But I have to say, he went from giving a speech on unity to the Oval Office where he signed 13 executive orders that basically made a mockery of everything he said about unity just just minutes before. One of those executive orders ended the Keystone Pipeline. Literally with a a stroke of a pen, he he made 11,000 jobs disappear. He just eliminated 11,000 construction jobs, building that pipeline, 8,000 of those jobs were union members whose jobs went away. In this past week, I've asked multiple Biden cabinet appointees, what do you say to those 11,000 workers whose jobs Joe Biden destroyed with a stroke of a pen? And essentially, what their answer was, well, they're out of luck. Today, John Kerry did a press conference where he says, well, they need to make better choices. You know, I don't think the American people need rich, out of touch Democrats lecturing them. That their job, their livelihood is going to be obliterated, and if they would just listen to their intellectual and moral betters in the Democratic Party, they would choose to to do something different with their lives. I I think that kind of condescension to working men and women, it it certainly doesn't augur well for what the next couple of years are going to hold.
0: Now, Jessica, you're on the grassroots end of this. You're in touch with all of those millions of Americans that didn't vote for Joe Biden. What is the key now? Obviously, whenever a party loses control, there's a moment of grieving, but then there's a time for organizing. What's going on right now behind the scenes? What is Heritage Action doing to get the troops ready for this battle?
3: Well, first and foremost, we have an existential front facing every single American across the country, which is this effort against securing the vote and making sure that we have integrity in our elections. Voter fraud is real, rightly concerned about this. So when you look at the threat of election integrity, we really have to have, I think, a two-pronged strategy in dealing with this, both at the federal level and then on the state side. So on the federal level, you know, we're going to be looking to senators like Senator Cruz, some of his conservative colleagues in the House to do everything that they can to block the federalization of these convenience laws that were in place because of COVID-19 during the November election and now could be made permanent. Mail-in ballots, different ID laws, the timing that's allowed around whether you can vote in person versus not. All of these things are part of this package that Nancy Pelosi has put forward in H.R. 1, which would federalize the election system. If that passes and finds its way onto Biden's desk, it ultimately will put uh, mute everything that's going on on the state level. So, we, we really need this two pronged strategy. I think grassroots are keenly focused on this right now blocking the federalization of our election system, blocking HR 1 and any effort to federalize and make these laws worse, and then beginning to go state by state to tackle some of these election laws that need to be fixed. If you look at the states that are most vulnerable for fraud, for for rifles of abuse at the state level, you begin to see a pattern. You see a pattern of neglect from elected officials to take their jobs serious, to hold precincts and electors that are voting accountable. So I think there's a real opportunity for the grassroots to leave, not only to take the list of these are the best practices that should be in place for your state, not only to hold their state up against that list, but then to begin to identify the solutions. so where do we need executive orders put out by a governor? Where do we need model legislation to move through the state legislature? Where do we need to run a ballot initiative that we can then go over the heads? Maybe it's a liberal in the in the governor's seat and in the state uh, legislature. So all of these efforts are really meant to block the federalization, tackle the state issues on this important issue of election integrity, which is front of mind for any grassroots American for all the right reasons right now today.
0: Yeah, everywhere we talk to voters and readers, we hear that issue come up time and again. Now, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come right back with Senator Cruz and Jessica right after these messages. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash Just News for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor Donor Advice Fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. all right folks welcome back from the commercial break we are so lucky here at this just the news special uh to have senator ted cruz from the great state of texas with us and jessica anderson from heritage action for america and we've been talking about the challenges that lie ahead for the conservative movement for republicans after the november 2020 election senator i want to turn back to you you have been a personal target of cancel culture of censorship personal threats, even a ban from communist China. How concerned are you about the state of freedom of expression, assembly and faith? And what are the levers Republicans have to try to uh, force change on those issues?
2: Well, John, great question. And I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned by the assault that is coming from the far left directed at our freedoms. Right now, we've got a Democratic president. We've got Democratic majorities in both houses of Congress. And and what we're seeing playing out, you you know, it's reminiscent of the end scene in all three of The Godfather movies. You you know, if you remember in The Godfather, at the end of each of the movies, Michael Corleone settles his death and and, and eliminates all his enemies. And, And that's what the far left is trying to do right now. They're trying to destroy everyone they perceive as their political enemies. They're trying to destroy President Trump because they hate Donald J. Trump with an all-consuming passion. They're trying to destroy conservatives, conservatives in the Senate, conservatives in Congress. But really fundamentally, they're trying to destroy all 75 million Americans who voted for president. They're trying to, all of us, racist, bigoted, ignorant, rude, and they're trying to erase us from American culture. They're gonna use every lever they have. That means they're going to use big tech. And Silicon Valley billionaires are using all of their tools to censor, to ban, to silence, to cancel voices with which they disagree. We're going to see the Democrats appointing left-wing judicial activists to the federal judiciary. And those activists will directly assault our free speech, our religious liberty, our Second Amendment. But here's the good news. Despite that assault that is coming on every front, This country remains, I believe, a center-right country. The American people believe fundamentally in common-sense conservative values. We believe in, in low taxes, low regulation, and lots of jobs. We believe in security, securing our borders, standing with law enforcement, standing with the military, defending this nation. And we believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And, you know, one of the things that really confirms that Because the Democrats don't campaign on what they believe. Here's the basic dynamic in American elections: Conservatives win when we campaign on the principles we believe in and we're fighting. Liberals win when they obfuscate, when they hide the principles they're fighting for. Because whether it is socialism, whether it is open borders, whether it is defunding the police, or whether it is taking away our fundamental liberty, those are not valuable policies the American people support. So, yes, we're going to have to withstand the assault for the next two years, the next three years on our fundamental liberty. I believe we'll come through this and we'll come through this even stronger.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a a dynamic. We're all going to be watching closely. And you you mentioned Senator, uh, uh, President Trump, and there are 70 to 80 million Americans, Jessica, that voted for him and are still energized three months after the election. Uh, How does the Trump movement impact the mission ahead for conservatives? And what dangers await Democrats, let's say some of the blue collar swing districts where Trump uh, remains popular?
3: Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, John. It would be a total mistake for Republican leadership, either in the party or in Congress, to forget the reasons that so many people turned out for Trump in 2016. They were unhappy with the economy, They were concerned about the political correctness and the big grip, the early grip of cancel culture. They were frustrated with illegal immigration and illegals draining social services. And they were eager for not only an economic comeback, but a cultural one. And so these issues drove people out in 2016. They have certainly evolved over the last four years, but in no way have they gone away. These are still issues that we are talking about in one way or the other today. And this is the Trump coalition, and it's going to move forward whether President Trump is a part of it or he decides to uh, take some time off and and golf and vacation with his family. Regardless, these issues are not going away. And in, in particular, when you look at the working class or blue collar Americans, they have increasingly sided with the conservative economic policy and labor policy and high wages and opportunity and growth because these are the solutions that help their families. They help their families, that helps their jobs and it puts America first. So at a time when the country is craving really moving forward and opening up the economy and allowing kids to fully return to school, this is the time for unity. Unfortunately, the left thinks that unity means uniformity and they're coming after every single one of us that voted for something different. This is why the fight must continue. It must be at the grassroots level. It must be energized and focused. Not only when we look at the election integrity stuff, but when we look at the legislative issues that are at stake, things that will end up in the courts, and then certainly the angst around Biden's heavy, heavy hand with his executive orders the first week that we've been, that he's been in office. So I think over overall, conservatives like Senator Cruz, like Heritage Action, We want these Americans to be part of the tent, be part of the movement and push back against this effort from the left to cancel every single one of us.
0: Senator, I've seen you chair hearings where really important oversight was committed, uh, whether it was on the Russia case or other important issues. In addition, the Senate has that incredible power of advising consent with all of the personas that uh, uh, personify Joe Biden's uh, policies in the cabinet. Tell me how important is it going to be to vet these nominees, to do oversight at these agencies as these massive policy changes take effect? What will Republicans be focused on in both of those issues?
2: Well, it's incredibly important. And and one of the worst consequences of the Democrats taking the majority in the Senate, of Chuck Schumer becoming majority leader, is that they have control of the agenda. That that Schumer controls what comes to the floor, what gets a vote. And the Democrats get all the gaps. So, so I have been for the last several years the chairman of the Constitutional Subcommittee of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and also the chairman of the Aviation and Space Subcommittee of, of the Senate Commerce. And with those two gaps, those two subcommittees that I chaired, I was able to convene hearings over and over and over again. For example, multiple hearings, looking at big tech censorship, looking at looking at the Silicon Valley billion are silencing the voices of Americans with which they disagree. I guarantee you, the Democrats are not going to have hearings on big tech censorship. And the reason is simple they support it. They're telling Silicon Valley, censor even more, silence even more. You know, look, a lot of Democratic senators, if they could, they'd shut this show down right now because we're not owning the line of orthodoxy that they stand. So that's we are also particularly six months, going to be engaged in the and going to be engaged in the process of considering and considering many of the bi- companies and subcab companies. That is a very important. Thing. I hope that Republicans stand together and, and do everything we can to stop some of the worst and most extreme nominees. We're just a couple of weeks in, but, but I got to say, I've seen a disturbing pattern, One, multiple by. Bi- Really embracing communist China. Uh, really trying to turn around. So I asked multiple Biden if they would commit to keeping Huawei, giant Chinese you know, telecom company, on the list that that, that, that prohibits U.S. technology from going to tech. Every one of them has refused to answer that question. Flirting with basically reopening uh and, and jumping back into communist I mean, China. You know, just today on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, we considered the nomination, of Joe Biden's nominee to be the ambassador to the United Nations. And and this nominee, she gave in October of 2019 a paid speech to a Confucius Institute, Confucius Institute. Is paid for by communist China, a Chinese communist government, and they are major platforms for propaganda and espionage. I led bipartisan legislation in the Senate that passed into law to crack down on Confucius Institutes and has resulted in dozens of Confucius Institutes being closed. Well, Biden's UN ambassador nominee gave a paid speech at a Confucius Institute where she praised communist China. And and essentially, was a cheerleader for communist China and said that America could learn from the example of China and and billions that it has put in Africa, trapping developing countries in in debt servitude, which gives China control over their policies. And and I got to say, it really is profoundly misguided. There's a pattern of it across the board of Biden nominees. One of the big foreign policy shifts. We're going to see over the next four years is a massive move to cozy up communist China at the expense of U.S. national security interests. And it is the confirmation brings where we have the ability to shine the light and press that scrutiny. I'm certainly going to continue doing that, and I hope other Republicans do as well.
0: It's pretty clear. And We've got about a couple minutes left. I wanted to throw this question to both of you just real quickly. Every um, time the Republicans have succeeded in taking back control, it's always been on the strength of ideas, on the strength of a message, on the strength of values. As you head into the 2022 elections, what is going to be the message that Republicans and conservatives can tell the American public that differentiates them from uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats, Senator, I'll start with you and we'll finish up uh, in a second.
2: Well, listen, freedom works. Free Markets are better than social liberty is better than government control. Our fundamental rights, speech, religious liberty, the second, they protect diversity, they protect the ability of each to make choices for ourselves and our family. Those are values, and 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 let me say, you know, the work just the sentinels incredibly effective for being voices. We have to win mainstream media. Do that it means we've got to find out. that's why last year a podcast called Verdict it became the number one right in the world. We've had over 20 million downloads by last year, one vote away. The Supreme Court seat history, it became the number one best seller on Amazon. All of that is designed to get out the mainstream media, get the American people with common sense because we've got to win hearts. We've got to turn people out. That's how we retake the country in 2022, and that's how we continue to do so in 2020.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Jessica, we'll give you the last word. What What is that message that's going to resonate with that great grassroots audience you're working with?
3: Policies that represent opportunities for all Americans. We need to get back to the basics. How do you provide an economic policy for family, for culture, for schools, education, every single issue that we look at where do you have the most freedom and the most opportunity for every single American? We have to throw out this playbook of providing favoritism to some at the expense of another. Trump fought for that. Conservatives need to carry that forward as we look at these critical fights. And to the point that the Senator made earlier, these nominations that Biden has put forward, this is the first opportunity for conservatives in the Senate to truly hold the line. It's not enough to wring their hands and complain about the executive orders. This is an opportunity to treat these nominees that we know what they are, which is personnel, is policy. So not only should we be providing this clear road wrap, clear roadmap for voters, for opportunity for all and favoritism to none, but using every single opportunity, tool at the disposal of senators with these nominations to expose the difference, the real difference in what the liberal left wants for America versus where conservatives are advocating for. Thanks for having us, John.
0: Well, listen, it's been an honor to have you both on, Senator Jessica, thank you so much. All right, folks, a few months ago, here at Just the News at Real America's Voice, we featured Heritage Action's police pledge in our Just the News special, Blue Courage. Many of you tuned in and signed on to that pledge, and I thought it'd be a great time to come on back and remember what that was about and what's happened since then. So take a look first at this clip that we have.
3: Today, we launched Fight for America to advocate for American values and institutions to champion the law enforcement.
1: I work with exceptional deputies, police officers. We have people that truly want to get out there and do good. I am very happy that the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action are willing to stand up, are willing to speak for the silent majority to say that we still believe in what our founding fathers
4: believed in.
0: All right. I want to bring in now Garrett Best, the vice president of Heritage Action, to give us an update on what's happened with the Heritage Action Police Pledge since that last special.
5: Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, You know, today you're talking about hold the line, but, you know, over the course of the summer with the unrest and everything, uh, conservatives around the country were anxious to show support for the thin blue line uh, that defends us uh, day in and day out. And and, uh, you know, being on the front lines of that fight with our grassroots network, Heritage Action developed um, a simple and easy way for Americans everywhere to express their support for law enforcement uh, by signing uh, a police pledge. Fairly simple. Um, Pushback against uh, the left's effort to defund our, our police departments. And uh, it was it was an astounding success. I mean, I not not that we weren't aware that so many people felt that way. But to have almost a quarter million Americans in just a couple of weeks uh, put their name on the line to say, "Yes, I I stand with with my police and uh, and against the left's effort to uh, to demonize and and ultimately get rid of them." And so it was it was an astounding grassroots success.
0: If I remember, a quarter million citizens or nearly a quarter million citizens, twenty members of the Senate, hundred and seventy some odd members of the House. Those are some pretty big numbers. I've seen a lot of pledges, yeah. uh, pledge drives in Washington in my 30 years as a reporter. Those are those are some really big numbers.
5: Yes, it was uh, it was fantastic. I mean, and, and that doesn't even count the hundreds of local and state officials that uh, that signed as well. Every, That's uh, right. Governors, but we also had state legislators. We had county mayors and and and, uh, and county council officials. And and it was just it was just a really good opportunity uh, for Americans, uh, both. Uh, Private individuals, but also elected officials, to uh, to defend our police. You know, a lot of times these pledges are designed to be sort of a fundraising tool or a, or sort of a a, um, a shtick, so to speak. Right. And, and in, uh, there, this was nothing nothing about that. This was this was a genuine effort to, uh, in the midst of, of uh, COVID lockdowns across the country, um, to to make a very simple way for people, no matter where they were. Uh, to say that they stand with Lee, so astounding success.
0: Well, we're so glad you were able to bring us up to date. We like to always go back and check what happened after we we've done a special like this, and we're so grateful, Garrett, for your for your work and for that update, folks. We're going to come right back after this commercial break with more of Hold the Line. and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. All right, welcome back to Hold the Line, our just-the-new special event sponsored by our friends at Heritage Action for America. Now, in any effort to renew, rebuild, and resurge, political operatives look to the grassroots of their movement. That, uh, That effort often starts with vetting a new president's cabinet. Now, Joe Biden has named several nominees to his cabinet, Some of them have already been confirmed by Congress. Others are facing questions about their past and how their policies might affect everything from the price of gas to the security of our border going forward. To help us sort all this out, uh, the battle over the nominees, how it's playing out here in Washington, we've brought in an all-star panel, three experts. Uh, Mike Howell, senior advisor at the Heritage Foundation, who previously served in the Trump administration at the Department of Homeland Security. Marie Fishpaw, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation, another Washington veteran, and May Davis, a former legal advisor to President Trump on policies ranging from health care and immigration to social issues. Uh, welcome, uh, everyone, for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. All right. Mike, let me start with you. Joe Biden's nominee for Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas has been a lightning rod for several years now. We at Just the News have reported on how the Homeland Security watchdog, the inspector general, investigated him back in 2015 and concluded that he showed, it, showed inappropriate favoritism. There's also the concern about rolling back Trump's border protections. Uh, all this is wrapped up in his confirmation process. Tell us what's been going on and what are the odds uh, for his uh, c- confirmation?
6: Well, there's actually a lot of news on this today. Uh, Senator Cornyn announced that, you know, they were going to essentially hold it up and invoke a, a filibuster on it, which means that it'll be delayed a few days. Now, it's right. very likely that the left and the Democrats are, are in lockstep and able to get to, you know, the 51 votes with with Vice President Harris being the deciding vote. But there's a lot of concerns coming from Hill Republicans. I mean, you mentioned that that DHS OIG uh, report on his interference into ev 5 investiga- adjudications. So what this really was was political favoritism at the highest levels of the Department of Homeland Security, basically greasing the wheels and involving, you know, Mr. Mayorkas in the adjudication of politically favorable clients. Now I was actually on the Homeland Security Governmental Affairs Committee when we were interviewing Mr. Mayorkas, and news of this broke. It hadn't been uh, mentioned before, and when confronted with it, it wasn't exactly the best meeting. And that really colored the interaction between him and the senators. They didn't get the answers they needed, and he was confirmed strictly down party lines uh, in that vote because the IG report was was still pending. It was it was unheard of at that point in time to have someone with an ongoing uh, IG investigation into them be confirmed to the number two spot at the Department of Homeland Security. Now, aside from the the problems of corruption that are so associated with Mr. Mayorkas, there's the real question of what policies will he, you know, enact and how will he Handle the department. And luckily here, we don't have to do a lot of guesswork at all. They've been abundantly clear about what what he will do. And it's very easy for Senate Republicans to say whether they're for amnesty and for open borders in this vote for his confirmation. Now, what he will do is already tell ICE and CBP to stand down. We saw this executive order coming out of the White House. He will build upon that. Luckily, the federal judge in Texas said we need a temporary restraining order on this because it appears unconstitutional. So we hope that holds up, but keep in mind, this is this is their M.O. It is what Mayorkas is sent there to do, just like he was sent to head the USCIS and then the deputy secretary, you know, to be an extension of, of the party apparatus to carry out these sort of political objectives. Now, additionally, we have the, the border wall. Now, what surprised me most in Mr. Mayorkas' confirmation hearing is that not only did he say that they'll, you know, stop all construction of new wall, keep in mind, this is wall Congress has already Funded and agreed to fund, but he's gonna do one step further. He's looking at tearing down existing wall. His only holdup is if his lawyers let him. He said so in the confirmation here. Now that makes zero sense, and it's completely indicative of a nominee who seeks only to carry out, you know, political objectives at the department. Now keep in mind, there's, there's tons of things that the administration has already done in this regard, whether it's opening up the border, they're, they're gonna to seek to end Title 42, which is COVID protection on the border, where we can turn people around they're, they're going to end the Remain in Mexico program whereby people wait south of the border while their asylum claims are being adjudicated instead of catch and release. This is an open borders guy through and through. And it's about this policy that senators need to keep in mind when they're looking at this vote. Right. They, they all pretty much have expressed they're against open borders and against massive amnesty. And Mayorkas is seeking to carry out the 11 million that, that President Biden wants in his legislation. But keep in mind, even if they don't get that, Mr. Mayorcus has indicated he'll seek to move administratively yeah. to grand amnesty. And he's the architect of the DACA program. The DACA program, which is an unconstitutional program, also under court review. So he's going to work around if, if Congress is given the bill that they want. So senators have, have a chance here to firmly say whether they're against open borders and amnesty, because there's no way to move this nominee forward. You know, unless you're for those things, because we know exactly what he's going to do.
0: Yeah, that's that's really true, Joe. And it's, uh, you know, when they say elections have consequences, the immigration policy is going to be one of those places where Americans are really going to feel the consequences, see the sea change that's going on there. Marie, let me turn to you for a second. Uh, another of Joe Biden's nominees is the former California attorney general, general Xavier Becerra. He's going to head he's been nominated to head uh, health and human services. His nomination is garnering plenty of opposition as well. Senator Tom Cotton has called Basera a culture warrior, unworthy of leading the top health job in America. Uh, there's others who are questioning his lack of p- health policy credentials. Tell us what's going on there and what conservatives are doing to try to oppose his nomination.
7: Well, he is an incredibly disappointing choice. As you said, we are in the middle of a pandemic where the decisions of government leaders, particularly in this role, literally impact both lives and livelihoods. So you want a steady, experienced and balanced hand in charge of an agency that can impact so much. But instead in this nominee, we're really seeing the opposite. We are seeing someone who doesn't have the experience he needs. His primary experience in healthcare is literally suing nuns who didn't want to follow an Obamacare mandate and had religious exemptions to providing contraception because it violated their core religious beliefs. So, this is a man who sued nuns. He's also supported providing taxpayer funding for elective abortions for all nine months of pregnancy. These are radical positions. And I think there's a real possibility that the Biden administration is setting up HHS to be one of these places where their radicals can go to get their wish list advanced. Because if you look at uh, this nominee in comparison to some of the others who are a bit more moderate for Democrats, we're seeing someone with a real radical agenda who doesn't have the the leadership skills, excuse me, the, the leadership experience he needs to really lead the agency. So Heritage and Heritage Action is working hard to call attention to these facts and demand that we need better for Americans right now.
0: May, we got a couple more minutes in this segment. I want to turn to you. You've worked in the White House. You know that OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, is one of the most powerful agencies in all of government because it controls the purse strings and the powers of regulation. What is your assessment of uh, Biden's choice to run OMB? Neera Tandon, she's a former head of a liberal think tank, the Center for American Progress, and there's been a lot of controversy in the media since her name surfaced as a nominee. Tell us what's going on there.
4: Yeah, so OMB is a very powerful agency, that both sets the budget priorities for the president and then also reviews all the regulations that come out of the agencies and can pump the brakes, they can speed up the process and they can rejigger agency regulations. So the person that needs to lead this needs to be somebody who's committed to the law, somebody who understands the role of government, and understands the limits of government. That person is unlikely to be Neera Tanden, who's most notorious for being a mean person on Twitter. She recently deleted a thousand tweets that attacked everyone from US senators to people's wives. She is known for punching a reporter who asked a question that she didn't like. And I would expect pushback on the left from people who thought that this is gonna be a unity moment, this is gonna be a golden age for politics. But really you should see pushback from any senator who respects their own job, respects the role of the legislature because Neera Tandon is a big government partisan and she is going to oversee the Biden policy of equity being promulgated in regulation from every agency. And equity might not mean anything in the atmosphere, but put into regulations, that means, well, when we're thinking about COVID policy, and let's just say we can reduce COVID exposure for 50 people, but it'll lose 100,000 jobs. I understand cost benefit. But what I don't understand is, well, if it's unfair that those 50 people are exposed to COVID, then maybe the equitable thing to do would be to promulgate that anyway. And so what you're going to see with a big government partisan in charge of this agency is big government policies being promulgated in every agency in pursuit of equity which American people may or may not agree is fair for them.
0: And Nira has been a prolific writer. We know where she comes from, from all of her writings at the Center for American uh, Progress and other things. We're gonna come back, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I wanna start to talk about, we've talked about the persons and their backgrounds. Now we wanna talk about what impact the policies are gonna have on everyday Americans. But first, let's go to this commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And we're going to continue this discussion about the nominees and their policies that personify the change in Washington that Joe Biden has brought. Just before we went to the commercial break, we were talking to May Davis. And I want to pick up on something, May, you said, because we, we obviously when the confirmation process starts, a lot of the focus is on the person, their record. But over time, what becomes the more impactful thing to everyday Americans is the policies that they carry out the uh, initiatives and decisions that they make in their agencies up and down government. I wanna ask you something. We are seeing a lot of things going on right now. You see a fast rising gas prices just since Joe Biden was elected. That's gonna hit the middle class, right? There are these climate policies targeting oil drilling, fracking and other energy sources. Lots of jobs have already been eliminated. Thousands more likely to be their union jobs. Um, When you look at this, how are these early policies playing out in middle America? Well, I
4: think they're a slap in the face to Americans who have taken an economic crisis and looked at their budgets to cut $5 here, $100 there, and it's going to be wiped out in increased energy costs. And for what? For what? So this is about virtue signaling. The Keystone Pipeline, canceling the Keystone Pipeline just means that we're going to have to ship that same oil on railroads, or buy it from Saudi Arabia. Last time I checked, solar panels were not created from thin air. They are created by countries who have forced labor policies and who have much dirtier energy than you would find in a westernized country. And finally, these energy sources are not ones we can replace. We don't all want to become California with rolling blackouts and the governor's suggestion of just keep your thermostat to 78 and you should be okay. So liberals are playing politics with middle America and their actual lives and it's unfair.
0: You know, uh, Marie, one of the things that we often talk about in politics is policies sometimes go over people's heads, there's alphabet soup in them, but there are real consequences, and I know a lot of people have pointed to California as sort of a testbed for a lot of the Biden policy since many of his appointees hail from there, including the vice president herself, Kamala Harris how uh, what work does Heritage Action and other people do to try to uh, personify? the consequences of policies, make them understandable. People are busy, they're running, taking care of kids, going to school, cooking dinners, going to work. How do you boil down the consequences of some of these policies so that they become tangible at the dinner table, the water cooler, even the boardroom?
7: Well, we spend a lot of time explaining what uh, a, a lever of government being changed means for a family or an American individual. So for example, Heritage scholars last year took a really hard look at the left's ultimate goal for our healthcare, which is to outlaw uh, private coverage and put us all in a government plan. And, and we took a hard look at what that would mean for your pocketbook in terms of increased taxes and more importantly, at less of an ability to choose the kind of coverage you want. So I think you'll see Heritage do a lot of that with Hair partners and Heritage Action over the next few years, trying to really crystallize the stakes we face from policy changes.
0: Yeah, the stakes are high and they're tangible and and, uh, in this fast-moving world. Uh, Are any of you, and Mike, let me throw this one to you quickly. Are you worried that the ability to communicate these messages are going to run into some of the uh, cancel culture, the, uh, the censorship that you've seen? Is there any fear that the ability to get the grassroots informed is going to be infringed upon by some of the censorship tactics that we've seen become more aggressive even since Election Day? What do you think about that, Mike?
6: look absolutely big tech is big left they're going to try to shut it down as much as they can but afraid absolutely not uh, i think the left's going to say if you're not for an open border and unlimited immigration you're a you're a racist neanderthal and honestly that, that trick is tired people are over it they see right through it and we're here to you know help point out the real consequences of what they want to do and if mayorkas becomes secretary of homeland security all roads lead to open borders mass immigration It means criminal aliens released into your neighborhoods and onto their streets. It means your schools being crowded with the influx and surge of illegal aliens. It means economic, you know, in this economic crisis, we have millions more eligible workers in the United States. All of the above are are things that everyone can understand. And, And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. And so folks need to stand up and we're hoping for leadership from the Senate to really fight on these issues.
0: Yeah, that is key. Your frontline defenders are in that Capitol, in that Congress, trying to to hold the line, as this special says. I um, I want to end. we got about three minutes. Here. I want to end with a question and throw it to each of you and give you a moment to, to think about it. Uh, Joe Biden ran as the blue collar guy, the champion of the middle class. But right away. The people in the middle class, people in working trades are feeling the impact of his jobs. They've seen their jobs go away. They're seeing more of their money go into their gas tank already. Uh, they may see increases in their health care like they did under Obamacare. Union workers were disproportionately harmed by uh, Obamacare's marketplace uh, solution. Uh, how do, what are the messages that conservatives can deliver directly to those families in the middle class and the blue collar world? What, what is the message that you think is going to resonate for conservatism with them? Mike, why don't we start with you?
6: Well, I think our, our policies are positive visions uh, for America, and they're actionable. They've worked where they've been tried. And fortunately for the conservative movement, what a contrast we have to what the left is trying to do. I mean, our position is that we should have a fair and orderly immigration service, uh, serve, or, you know, policy that puts American interests first. And what a contrast to mass immigration, open borders, releasing criminal illegal aliens, crowding our schools, et cetera, down the line. These are kitchen table conversations. Your health insurance goes up when illegal alien shows up to the emergency room and can't pay for their health insurance. These are things that show up up and down the line. Illegal immigration connects to every single policy issue. And so we're going to be making those connections, making the case, educating folks, advocating for folks, and pushing for solutions on Capitol Hill where our senators can actually stand up. If you're against open borders and you're against mass amnesty and criminals being released onto our streets, then you better hold the line against Alejandro Mayorkas.
0: Hold the line. That's what we keep hearing tonight. Brie, what do you think? What's a message that's going to resonate at the dinner table tonight?
7: Well, so many Americans are concerned rightly about whether they and their families and the ones that they love can get health care when they need it. And we've seen under President Trump that he took a lot of steps to make healthcare more accessible and affordable for people. Of course, he was demonized by the left because he didn't support big government. He supported freedom to help make that happen. So the left is gonna to try to impose the same failed approaches that they took, which resulted in Obama, under Obamacare costs going up and your choices going down. And if you're sick, making it a lot harder if you're on an Obamacare plan to see a doctor that takes care of the special needs that you have. So I think that freedom really does produce better outcomes for people and the things that they care most immediately about. And we're going to be standing up at Heritage and with our partners in Heritage Action to make sure that we know that, that conservatives have a better path forward as we stand against what the left is trying to do.
0: May, you get the bad cleanup here. What's your favorite message? What's going to resonate in the base of America and Main Street of America?
4: For me, it's pretty clear that conservatives want to give you the governed a voice because this is a democracy and the liberals want to take that voice and give it to unelected bureaucrats who know better than you know, who are smarter than you and who can run your life better than you can. And it's unfair. It's undemocratic. It's un-American. And the last chance we have to prevent the big government takeover of American lives is right now with the Senate to say no to big government partisan bureaucrats.
0: 50-50 in the Senate. What a wild ride the next two years are gonna be. I really wanna thank you all for joining us today, um, May, and. Mike and Maria, a really great conversation. Uh, we're going to be keeping a tabs on all you're doing. Hope to have you back on the show sometime soon to follow up on these great issues. All right. It's hard to imagine, but we're almost ready to wrap this great hour of conversation. But before we go, we're joined by one last special guest, Janae Strachey, the grassroots director for Heritage Action for America, joins us. Janae, great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I know folks are watching this show They're everywhere across America, and they're saying, I'm concerned by what I heard here, but what can I do? I'm just one person, I'm in the real world, I'm far from Washington, far from the beltway. What can a grassroots organization like Heritage do to reach out and activate everyday Americans in these policy fights that we've been discussing tonight?
1: That's right. Well, that's a common question I hear from so many people. Um, You know, this isn't new. We sit and watch the news, we're frustrated, and people find themselves just yelling at the TV and wondering, how do I stop this? What can I do? Well, the first thing you can do is join Heritage Actions uh, Sentinel um, family. We've got an army of grassroots activists just like you all across this country um, who did the same thing. They wanted to make a difference and so they joined like minded people. Um, one of my favorite things to tell people is that your voice is already more powerful than you think it is. Most people don't take action. They just stay at home yelling at their TV. Uh, they don't write or contact their members or senators. So um, that alone is more powerful. But when you join your voice with thousands of other conservatives across this country at the most impactful time, um, you're gonna to see in the influence of your voice. So we at Heritage Action want to equip you to do that. You can go to heritageaction.com sentinel Uh, You'll be able to find out all information there. You can also text NOMS to 51776, that's NOMS, N-O-M-S, at 51776. So if you text that to 51776, you'll get all information you need back. We'll get you connected with a regional coordinator who lives in your area, with like-minded sentinels and i'm telling you there's so many ways to get involved there's so many ways to make your voice um powerful and amplified Um, so whatever your skill set is there's a place for you
0: it's so good to remember that even though you're you have a a day job and you got to take care of the kids you got to run the errands that you could still make a difference in the political sphere just by by taking a plunge, just by hitting that text number by calling in reaching out to like-minded Americans and getting activated Janae thanks for joining us tonight. that was fantastic and we'll, we'll set make sure people know how to get to that URL all right, folks, we're going to wrap it up for the night. I want to thank you for joining us on this just a new special, Hold the Line, Rebuild, Renew, Resurge. We hope we brought you inside a, a process that a lot of Americans don't get to see, how a political movement reboots after a major election loss. We've, I've enjoyed the conversation. I want to thank Senator Cruz, Jessica Anderson, Janae, all the great guests that we had tonight. And I hope you have a great night with your family. All right, folks, that wraps up another busy week. I want to thank you for listening, for checking out all the news at Just the News. We had a lot of declassified documents, Andy McCabe and Rod Rosenstein and Christopher Steele and Stefan Halper and Carter Page. So many uh, topics that we covered on the news. Of course, we had a terror alert. Uh, uh, We've had new revelations in the Capitol Hill Uh, riots, and so much more, including the swearing in of our senators for uh, the impeachment trial in February. Interestingly enough, most Republicans held the line, if we can use today's panel discussion to uh, borrow that line for a second they held the line it does not look like the democrats will have enough votes to convict president trump come to trial next month but we gotta let that play out all that happened on our watch this week i hope you enjoyed our two panel discussions uh newt gingrich jenna ellis and colonel west this week on uh, the assault on religious liberty and of course today's holding the line panel with senator ted cruz jessica anderson all the other great experts that heritage action helped bring in for us so that we could give you an inside look at what it's like uh, to be on the conservative side trying to come back from the 2020 november election losses uh with that we'll go to the weekend i hope you have a blessed weekend enjoy your family and friends and next week we'll be back with new exciting guests new topics and i'm sure IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Just News. That's TNUSA.com slash Just News. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded.